0: at verses eight through 11. all right? The scripture says this, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. six days you shall labor and do all your work and on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work you or your sons or your daughters, your male or your female servants or your cattle or your sojourners who stays with you. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right. The, first, the thing we want to talk about today is, is when we been talking about these first things, the last one is our first priority. Our life is an arrangement of things, all right? And so when we put things in order, we need to arrange them properly. And so just because we have something as a part of our life doesn't mean the order and priority in which it is in our life is in the right place, okay? Because remember, we talked about first place in our life. God should be first, right? And so when we're prioritizing our life, Um, we, We get things out of order. So we have church as a part of our life, but it's a box that we check. It's just something that's in a weekly event, and it's not in the right place in the order in which it should be. Okay? And, and the reason is is because we allow other things to take that place and, and our life gets reprioritized. And when church and when, the, when God, when, when the Sabbath is not kept and not kept holy, then what, what happens is, is what we don't realize is that it affects all the other stuff. And, and because it affects all the other stuff, then we begin to um, see stress in those areas. And what, what we do is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We start to give more attention to those areas because they're bringing stress into our lives, okay? And because they're bringing stress into our lives, our job, what do we do? If we're not getting it done at work, what do we do? We work more, don't we? We work more, we work longer hours and we feel like we're behind and we got to get things done. And so the thing hap- the thing that happens is is that instead of putting the things in the proper priority and the proper order in our lives, we get them out of order and when we get them out of order it brings stress and anxiety in our life and instead of stopping, we go faster. So the cool thing about the holidays is, is that now is pretty much the only time that everything kind of shuts down, except for Waffle House and a few gas stations, right, because they're 24-7, 365 all the time and stuff like that. You can't make those people close the stuff up. But they actually close the stores for a little while on Thanksgiving, don't they? they actually, some people actually close the stores on Christmas and, and all of that. And things just kind of s- slow down and stop. Have you ever gotten out during those days and just kind of drove around? None of y'all do that? I get tired of my family. I'm like, I've had enough of y'all. I'm getting in the car, and I'm going for a ride, you know? And I'll just go ride around for just a little bit. This is a complete and total calm. There's all this hustle and bustle that's going on, 365, 24-7, all the time. And then there's just these moments now where there's a stillness and where there's a time where it seems like everything slows down. Well, that's what the Sabbath used to be all the time, wasn't it? The Sabbath was holy, and in our country, nothing was open. You had to cook your own lunch. You remember that? You couldn't find gas because nobody was open. All the stuff used to always shut down. But look, what happened was is that we reprioritized things in our country, and even, even as things were going bad in our country because of the reprioritization that we put in place, we just started going what? faster we just started going faster and faster and faster and now everything is what slinging out of control and it's like whenever you try to stop and get off the merry-go-round for a little bit you don't feel right people don't feel right but it there's a calmness to it there's a peace to it why is that because God scheduled that for us on a weekly basis And now it happens like for just moments throughout specific days of the year. And the rest of the time, it's nonstop. But the peacefulness and the the moments where we stop and think about things, those are highly reflective, highly reflective for us. So why did I ask you, how was your week? What are some things that you got? Because you know what? Things happen when we get together and we slow down and when we stop. God still shows up. And when then God shows up in your family, he gives you memories. He gives you moments where, we, where you're able to spend time with each other and to pour into each other's lives or to think about and reflect about what holidays truly mean to you and what it was like to do Thanksgiving back in the day. I make, I make um, <coughs> dressing. My mom's been uh, gone since 2009. My grandmother's been gone since the late 90s, all right? So my grandmother made, the, made dressing, And then my mom took it up, and now I'm trying. And I've been trying for almost 10 years. And every time we open it up, we get there and we go, I don't know, something's missing. So I I recreate this recipe every year that I'm trying. My mom didn't write it down. I don't have it anywhere. So I don't know. And I'm trying to go back. But you know what? I can remember cutting into that dressing when my grandmother was alive and when my mama was alive and going, this is the best stuff I've ever put in my mouth. I could eat this like pans of it by myself. And now I'm sitting here, and I'm going, I take a slice, and I go, that's not it. Y'all can have the rest of it, you know. And I'll try again next year. I'll get it better. But there's two more in the freezer because I made so much of it, you know. And so I'm still trying to figure it out. But the memory is there, you know what I mean? And it comes from those moments, and it comes from those times when we stopped and when we reflected and when we remember these things. Christ gave us this every week. The Lord God created this for us every week. We just blow through it. And our lives are out of priority or out of structure so that we just want to check the box and say that we did it. Accomplish that, Lord. Went to church today. Heard Tim. Hmm. Next, please. And so we just go on and we go on and we go on and we go on. When God talks about R&R, it's different than when we talk about R&R. What does R&R mean for us? Rest and relaxation. So when we want to go on R&R, which is what a lot of people are doing this morning. You see, Sunday is still a time when there's a, it's a little bit down. You know, so. Most companies don't work seven days a week. A lot of them work six days a week and will give you Sunday off. It's the one day a week that you have off. And guess what everybody's trying to do? Everybody's trying to rest and relax. But God gave us R&R for this, rest and reliance. God's R&R is rest and reliance. It's not on your outline. I'm I'm just making it up as I go. It's a great thing that happens, right? But God's R&R is different from our R&R. We want to relax. God wants us to rely. And what I want us to do today is to see these couple of things that puts us on the page of what God wants us to do. Mark 1230 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your strength. With all your strength. Now we've looked at the first four, remember? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is emotionally how we connect to the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, which is our spiritual connection. Love the Lord your God with all your mind last week, which is our uh, mentally how we prepare ourselves. Remember, we talked about mindset, how we have to mentally prepare ourselves and that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. So we're thinking it in the brain. It's going into our heart and it's coming out our mouth. So that's the whole process of how this works. So our heart and our mind are messed up, then it's going to be coming out of our mouth the wrong way and coming out in actions and in deeds the wrong way. So now we're talking about strength. We're talking about our physical strength. So we're going to go out and do work for the Lord, and we're going to get it all done. But our priorities are out of whack. We're not in the right order. And because we're not in the right order, we're doing it in our strength. We're not doing it in the strength of the Lord. And doing it in our strength wears us down. I don't care what you do. If you're serving God and you're doing it out of tradition, if you're doing it out of trying to do it because nobody else will do it, if you're trying to do it because... Um, it, you feel like it needs to be done and it's not important to everybody else, but you know what? It's, a, it's something that the church needs to have. You know what it does? It's just, it sucks the very life out of us because there's nothing that fills us back up. God is what fills us back up. If we're serving in the power and then love and the admonition of God, guess what? He fills us back up. He is the one that connects with our soul because we are connecting with him spiritually and he is supplying all that we need. Paul tells us that in Philippians. He says, my God shall supply all your needs. He is sufficient for every good work that we do. He has prepared for us those good works that we might go and walk in them. He tells us in Ephesians. So Paul is telling us over and over again that all of this stuff can be accomplished, but it's only going to be accomplished through the power and the presence of God. And so if our priorities are out of order, if we're coming and we're checking a box at church, if we're trying to do all this stuff in our own strength and we're walking out of here every Sunday not filled up or weary for what we are doing, then we've got this all, we're discombobulated. And so what I want us to do today is to put that back in the proper order. Six days you work, this day you what? You rest. Not for rest and relaxation. So Tim, please get me home so I can eat lunch and go watch the football games that come on at 1 o'clock. Got to hurry, Tim. Hurry. That's the next thing on my box. Got to check that. Not rest and relaxation, but rest and reliance. Our Sunday school lesson today was spending a lot of time on, on James chapter 5 where he's talking about the, uh, the effectual prayer of a righteous man. And I'm going to say the effectual prayer of a righteous person. Doesn't matter, male or female. It's effectual because the scripture told us that first they were patient. They were waiting for the Lord. They were relying upon the Lord. And then because of that, and through that patience, God made their prayers effectual. That led to power. There was power in that. So for us, we're missing the power of God in our life because we're moving way too fast. We're not patient. We're not relying on him. We're doing it in our own strength. It needs to happen now. How many of y'all are type A in here? I'm type A. Everything needs to happen what? right now if I pray to God one time I've done it man I confessed in Sunday school class this morning tomorrow asked me all the time did you pray to God about that I said yeah one time for about two seconds but I prayed to God he's God he'll make that happen I need to be fervent in my prayers dedicated in my prayers which means what Daily I take that to the Lord. I bring that as an admonition from me. This, Lord, I need to see you move in this way. I'm not fervently seeking God. So the prayers of this righteous man are not effectual. Because I've said, Lord, I ask you this back in November of last year, and we're still here. What's going on? What's happening how many times did you pray that in the last 365 days, Tim? No, I didn't. But I prayed it last November. Come on, make it happen. See, priorities. Putting things in the wrong place, in the wrong order. And, and then getting upset because things don't go our way because of what's going on. So here it is. The two things I want you to get. The things that this passage says to us is one is a matter of importance, the significance of rest less means more. That's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned as I've gotten older. When I was younger, more meant more, right? The more I had, the more I wanted. The more you gave me something, the more I wanted it given, you know? It was more, 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 more. I lived to increase in excess, If someone showed up on Sunday and we had 60, the next week we were supposed to have what? 62, 70. If they had 72 weeks ago, we were supposed to have what? 95 the next week. I mean, it was just supposed to happen like that. More meant more meant more meant more. I spoke to this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Now I cherish the times when there's less. Because less means more. If we'd have had a packed house in here this morning, I wouldn't have stopped like this and asked you how your week was. We'd have had less interaction. I kind of like it sometimes when there's only a handful of us here and around. Why? Because we can have conversations that we normally couldn't have. Because nobody's going to speak when everybody else is around. But in a smaller group, I've found that more people are more willing to speak up and, and share what's going on in their hearts. But in a larger setting, nobody really wants to talk. So the more one-on-one time we get, the more effectual our lives become in impacting other people's lives. And so less means more. It's a matter of importance. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, so that no one will fall, though following the same example of disobedience. Do you get this here? If we don't enter into rest with God, we fall into disobedience. And so the very things that we think should be blessed by God because we're doing it in his name, become disobedient to him because we're not allowing him to do it. Does that make sense? When we start doing it and we start taking credit for it, it's done in us. But when God starts showing up and God starts doing it, then God gets the glory. God gets the praise. And then you know what? This is what I've also found. When God does it, it's a whole lot better than when I did it. It's a whole lot better than when I did it. Here's something else I want you to see, too. In the Old Testament, the day of rest was the what day? Seventh. Good answer. Now, in the New Testament, the day of rest is the what day? First day. God created all these things in six days and then He rested. And now that we live in the age of the church and Christ has come, Christ has said what? That we're to enter into the first day. Why is that? Why did it flip? Why did it flip from the seventh day to the first day? Well, if you're a seventh-day Adventist, it really didn't. But in, in right now, for us, it's the first day of the week. Why is that? Priorities. Priorities. God gets what? The first the first fruits the first portion the first part the first day and so the sabbath day for us now is the first day of the week why so we're to start our week out on the right path we're to put these things in the proper order we're not to work through it and just keep on plotting it's a matter of importance to us. It needs to, it's a matter of importance to God. It needs to be a matter of importance to us. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. Our strength comes from God. Isaiah 40. This is actually 29 through 31. <clears throat> he gives strength to the weary, and to him he lacks, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, the vigorous young men stumble badly. Wow. Isn't that us? We try to do it in our own power, and we get really wore out, and we can't understand why it's not going the way it's supposed to be going. We get tired, and we stumble badly. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength, and they will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired, and they will walk and not become weary. I need you—it's it's emboldened on mine. I don't know if it is on the outline of yours. So I need you to underline that, line, that word, wait. That wait means reliance in the Old Testament. So when you look at that in Hebrew in the Old Testament, when it says wait upon the Lord, it means rely upon the Lord. That's why I said R and R means something different to God than it does to us. For us, it means rest and relaxation. For God, it means rest and reliance. We're waiting on God. We're waiting on God to show up and show out. We're waiting on God to move in us and through us. We're waiting on God to make it happen. We're not trying to create it ourselves. We had a setback with our building over here. We're waiting on God to make it happen. Are you following me? We're not trying to power through and make it happen ourselves. We'll wait on God, and he'll make it happen. And what will he provide? He'll provide everything that we need when we need it and how we need it. If we try to do it ourselves, what do we do? The church is real bad about this today. We need a new building. We're going to go into D-E-B-T to make that happen and make that happen how? Now, I'm not telling you that debt is bad. You can have debt. The Debt is talked about. But it also says that the debtor is slave to the what? To the lender. And it tells us this over and over ourselves. So we need to understand that when we're indebted, we're enslaved. And so if we want to be free from that, then we need to make sure that we get the things in the proper priority and get them in the right order and make them happen that way. And not try to get ahead of God and make that happen. Man, I've indebted. This is more of a confessional than it is part of the sermon. My first first church, they told me that we needed to buy land. That was a church plant, man. (laughs) I was fully supported by multiple churches and associations and stuff like this. We didn't even have money coming in to pay my salary. And I already had land and debt within six months because the powers that be told me that that's what I needed to do. Land's not getting any cheaper, is it? You need to go on ahead and buy it now. This is where we want you to buy it. I bought it exactly where they told me to buy it. They gave me a three-mile radius to buy it in. It was in the three-mile radius. But we were indebted. And I left that church indebted. Now, I want to tell you what God did. God had another church come along and buy that church piece of property for multiple times what we paid for it. They were able to pay all the things off, pay back the people that actually even started the plant and still have money. They paid staff people a year worth of salary when they left. They blessed Connecting Point Church when they left, when when it went out. They gave us money. I mean, God multiplied that out. But when Tim Hunter was there we were in debt because you know what somebody told me that's what we needed to do and me being type A went out and what did what they said to do to the consternation of my wife who a couple of times said what are we doing why are we getting ahead this way shouldn't we wait and I was like no man this is what they said do they said do they know, they know what they're doing right these are people that were above me put me here Told me what to do. I'm a type A. I'm gonna go do it. Second time, God showed up in in so many different ways physically and financially to make things happen. And when He showed up and showed out, it, it was an amazing thing to be a, it was stressful. I will tell you, it was stressful for me. But I will say this, it was really cool to see how God did it and what he did. So instead of leaving a church in debt and walking away and seeing God bless that afterwards, I got to be a part of it right then and there. And so that, that was a cool thing. It's a matter of importance, the significance of resting and relying upon God. The other thing is it's a constant matter of attention. This is where, it gets, this is where the world gets us. Are you one of the letters? Are you ADD? I can't remember them all. ADD, HD, QP, RST, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of and I'm not trying to make light of it, I'm trying to say there's a lot of a attention deficit disorder has a lot of different things under it now, right? Why is it that we have we lack attention? We're so easily distracted. So easily distracted. What movie was that? Up. I love that movie with the little dog, Squirrel, you know, and Up, you know. The squirrel comes by or whatever. The dog's like, pew. He's he's like, I'm right here with you. I'm right here beside you. Squirrel, pew. He was gone. That's us. I believe in this church. We're good. We're good. It's hunting season. Pew. It's football season. Pew. My kids are doing this. Pew. And it's seasons. Are you getting that? We need every single solitary week. A dedicated member of a church back in the day, not too long ago, 70s and 80s. All right, let's just go there. Was it, it was three to four times a month. A dedicated, Someone who calls themselves a dedicated attender now shows up once to twice a month. You're showing up to church 13 to 26 times a year, and you're calling yourself a dedicated member. And you're not going to miss a vote that's really important, and you're not going to miss a meeting that could change something. But a lot of other times you're going, pew, pew, squirrel. We lack attention. And I want you to think about this from the leader's standpoint. From the leadership standpoint, this goes beyond a pastor, beyond a staff person, and you know, covers the encompassing of everybody that's a leader. You know what we constantly have to do today? We live in a day in a society where everybody wants to one-up the week previously. Why do we have to one-up the week previously to get people to come to church? Because they lack attention. So next week, guess what we're doing here at Mount Salem? Next week, we're going to have a live nativity right up here on the front. No, we're not. We're not doing that. But are you following me? Then how do you top the live nativity? Then you got to go the next week. And then, man, we got workers that are looking at each other going, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do the next week to make this happen? What are we going to do next quarter to keep them involved and active? When you signed up for a church job back in the day, you signed up for an entire year, didn't you? Do you know the church is actually broken up into segments now? We ask you to work from January to June, actually May. Then you get the summer off, and then we'll ask you to come back again sometime around when school starts back, and we ask you to suck it up all the way to December, to teach a small group or to lead something. I get that you need rest. I get it. That's part of the whole church should be doing it. But the reality for us is that we have to work so hard from January to May to keep everybody's attention and keep everybody involved that when we get to May, we're like, what? I need a break. Let's go into the next session here, and I'll sign up again after you give me a few weeks and months to recuperate. We're doing this stuff the wrong way. And I'm a part of that and have been a part of that. But our priorities are out of whack. If we would reprioritize what's important, you see what? I want to tell you something. This is the coolest thing. Somebody that's really got God at the center of their life, they don't need motivation. That is the coolest thing. When somebody's got God at the center of their life and he's got a hold of them, they are so fired up, you can pour a hose on them and it doesn't stop them. Because why? Because Christ is in there. And when Christ is in there, that fire is hot. That fire is hot. And there's nothing that I can do or say to make that fire hot in you. But what do we do? Well, that pastor just doesn't do it for me. We need to get another one. He just he just doesn't he just not light my fire. I used to have a pastor. This was one of his lines. His line was, "If I don't light your fire, your wood's wet." I'm telling you, if what I'm saying this morning is not lighting your fire, your wood is wet. Your wood is wet. So we got to remember, it's not always the guy that's standing behind the podium. It's not his job to get up here and rev us up every day. It's not our job to keep this thing going. It's not our job to, to put a new tent over the circus and increase the size of the tent and all those different things. Our job is to get right with God. As people of God. And I can tell you this, if people of God are right with God, all you got to do is get out of the way. At that point, it is, it is managed trying to manage what God is bringing instead of trying to motivate what is already here. Do you see what I'm saying? It's an attention thing. It's the stewardship of the resources. I've said this term before and I give it to you again. I'm going to just tell you something. I didn't think my voice would make it today, but aren't y'all blessed? (laughs) I thought by now, I was like, they're going to get out early today. I'm just not going to be able to finish this. But lo and behold, stewardship of resources. Our job is to give to give. Now, let me read these scriptures so that you'll get this. Luke 6.38 says this, give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now think about that. You give to give. And what I mean by that is this. We think about it give to get. If I give God this, time, talent, treasure, then I'm going to get this from the Lord. Good health, blessings, that's called health and wealth gospel. And we preach it. It's called prosperity. We preach it all the time in America. You give God this, God's go, you're going to get this back. But this is what God says. God says, if you give to me, I'm going to give to you. That's not getting. That is giving. God is giving you something. So when you give to God, guess what God gives you? God lays on your heart that something needs to be done. And he gives you the talent, the treasure, and the motivation to go and get that done. Oh, that's called responsibility. That's called a place or position within the church. I wasn't asking for that. I was thinking maybe a scratch-off or something like that that somebody gave me for Christmas. You can give me that as a present, right? And I win. I get. No. No. What happens is, is that when you give to God, God gives back to you. But it doesn't come in the way, shape, form, or fashion that you think it's coming. But our job is to give to give. God has gotten your attention. Our church needs this. Our ministry needs that. We can help out this way. God lays it on my heart. But what do we do with most of those things? No, I want to tell you what we do. This is pretty cool. Pastor Tim, let me told you what God laid on my heart. That the church needs this. You know what my response back to you is? That is awesome that God laid that on your heart. How are you gonna make that happen? Because I don't need another job. A task or a responsibility? Are you following me? That When God gives that to you, he gives that to who? You. Gives it to you. He gives it to you. So we give to give. Because then it says what? The next thing it says is that when he gives it to you, the matter in which you gave it, he's going to press that down and it's going to, does it look like you're lacking for anything when God gives to you? When God gives it to you, He gives you everything you need. It says that it will be pressed down in your lap, running over. Pressed down. That is not, I need some more. That is, I'm stuffing as much of this as, I, as you can possibly handle. And in fact, it's going to be handling to the point that it's going to be running over. Running over. That gets your attention. It gets your attention. Matthew 27, verse 21. Actually, this is a story of the parable of the talents, or the story of the talents, and um, I'm just giving you bits and pieces here. So it's in that general area. I'm not telling you it's exactly that verse. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. What does it say there? If you're faithful in a few things, he's going to give you, what, more things. More things. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. When When that comes from God, we start going, oh, crud, I don't want that. But when your boss does that and increases your paycheck because of it, or maybe doesn't increase your paycheck. Hey, Tim, I've had this happen to me. We're gonna give you a lateral move within the company. We're gonna give you a new title. But we're not gonna increase your pay or anything like that, but you're gonna have more responsibility. It's really a good thing. If you're good at this for a few months or years or decades, we'll probably give you a raise. And what do we do? We go, "Uh uh-huh, okay. Sure thing. I'll take it. Thank you very much. And we go right along and do it. And I've done it. And I've walked out of there going, I'm no longer assistant to the assistant, but I am the assistant. It means the same thing. And we do that all the time when we think that that's great. And we'll go around and tell everybody, I got a promotion at work. Do you ever go around and tell anybody, I got a promotion from God? What was your promotion? God gave me more responsibility. We don't ever do that, do we? But I mean, see, we've got the wrong look at this. We got the wrong thought process of this. When God gives us more, he's found us responsible. Why don't we count ourselves blessed? That he has found us worthy of another step. Where would I put that? Where would I lay it down? Oh, on the chair right here. It's a good day, isn't it? It's always fun. It's always new and fresh with Tim, isn't it? You never know what you're going to get. It's like a box of chocolates. All right. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11 says this. Now I say, this is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, by the way. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you don't give, you're not. he's not going to give to you. So if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do what he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give your time if you don't want if your heart's not in it, don't sign up because no, I used to have a lady in one of our former churches, and she was always the, the first person on our sign-up sheet. And I'd go ask her later. I'd say, so you want to be a part of this? She goes, no, but the sign-up sheet was empty, and I didn't want you to think that it was going to stay that way. So I have found that if someone signs up, then other people will sign up. And I was like, so you really don't want to do this? And she goes, "Nah." And so every time that her name was on a sign-up sheet, I just kind of like, she's just signing up to sign up. And she was always the first person that signed up. And sure enough, as after her name, there was 10 other people, and those are the ones who actually wanted to do it. Don't say you're going to give your time and then not be serious about it. Don't say that you're going to tithe and not be serious about it. Don't say that you're going to use the gifts that God has given you and not be serious about it. If you're going to give it, give it. God does not like someone who grudgingly gives. He wants you to do it with what kind of heart? Cheerful heart. So when Tim comes up to you and says, I need you to serve in this capacity. God's led me to you to talk to you about this. And you go and pray about it. When you come back, don't go, Yeah, Tim, I'll take this. I'll give you six months. We'll try it. We'll give it a go. I want you to come back like this. Brother Tim, the Lord has blessed me. I get to serve with you in this capacity, in this place, in this time. I can see that that, is that going to happen? That's the way we should go. I want to tell you, can can I tell you what a joy it has been to see you serve? And with the children when you get up and go back you're not getting up and going back I gotta go back here with these kids for an hour he better keep this short 12 o'clock is 12 o'clock buddy you're going back here Susie with a heart to serve and there's a smile on your face you're ready to pour into somebody else's child not your child not even your grandchildren but somebody else's and so that is the heart of giving. And when I want to tell you this, when you go back there, I know this has happened with tomorrow. I don't get to go back there because I have to stay in here with you. But I used to go back there. And everybody would say, please don't send Tim back there with my children anymore. I'm not joking. I, I taught kids how to tackle and do all kinds of stuff. But I used to work children's church back in the day, man, and then they took me out. But tomorrow, will go back there, and she will serve. And she will come home and she will start telling me how sweet and honest and heartfelt the prayers of the kids were. And and what they said today that showed that they were listening to the lesson and and all the different things. You, You know, this is what I'm saying. When you give, God gives to you. He gives it right back in here. So, God loves a cheerful giver. Then it says, God is able to make grace abound to you, so as always having all sufficiency in everything, that you have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures, and He supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. Will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness, and you will be enriched in everything with all liberality, all liberality, through which through us is producing thanksgiving to God I'm going to close with a success and a failure so I told you about our second church plant before and I've told you this before God blessed us and financially everything was paid for everything I mean a 1.5 million dollar building with no debt and And we raised money before, but we didn't have to— and we were trying to raise money during, but it didn't really work. You know how much the church actually raised of all that? $75,000. Connecting Point Church raised $75,000, and God built a $1.5 million building, debt-free. That's the success. Let me tell you the failure. The failure was is that the pastor wanted it done so quickly— that he wore himself to death and was just exasperated by the time that was finally finished. So much so that he didn't stop and think of all the joy and the blessings that God had done. All he thought of was how wore out he was and just tired from all that had transpired to get there. I miss the blessings. And I miss a blessing from it because in the last year and a half of it, man, I was working so hard to try to make it happen that I stopped letting God make it happen. And in less than a year, after we moved into a $1.5 million building, all of it paid for, I was done. It made it about another nine, about 18 to 20 months after before we merged and, and all that kind of stuff. But at one year, when we got back after one year of it finally being in it, I was toast. So much so that I was talking to tomorrow, and I was going, something's got to happen here. God's, God's got to get me out of this. Now, how many people would, how many pastors would love to go into a brand new church with no, in fact, I found out there's a lot of them, <laughs> would love to take a church that has no debt and actually make it and, and try to move forward with it? There's a bunch of them. And if you tell them that you're willing to move forward or merge with them with it, they'll come out of the woodwork. They're willing. But I was war slap out. Slap out. See, my attention turned. My attention, squirrel. Return to the task of finishing the building. Don't get your priorities out of order. Thank you for letting me go over today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you again for how you take care of us and how you love on us. And Father, I pray that in everything that we are and everything that we do that we'll give our hearts attention and desire to you. Father, our passion is made full in you. Our passion wanes in ourselves. And Lord, I just pray now that during this time that you'll give us the strength that we need to carry on throughout the day. I love you and I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. Thank you for the blessing of these folks being here today and what you're gonna do in our lives this week. May our eyes be wide open and may our attention not be diverted. These things we pray now and these things we ask in Christ Jesus' name, amen.